If you'd open your Bible to the book of Joshua, we're going to read from there. We're going to pray for an unreached people group, and, um, and then we're going to hear from God's Word. I want to I say thank you, though, to uh, all the people who jumped into the, uh, the gap last week. Um, John Render, John Gore, Bruce Ford, Brian Orr, others. Brian climbed the ladder this week and fixed the projector uh, that, that burnt out last week. Uh, many, many people pitched in on, uh, on New Year's Eve at around 3 o'clock in the morning. Nancy said, we are going to the hospital because you are not right. And uh, I was in so much pain. At one point, I looked at her and I said, I'm going to distract myself by trying to break this hospital bed, um, to bend the, the bars and just because... It was it was horrible, um, but I took a lot of medication, and I'm feeling a whole lot better. So thank you for you who uh, who, who stepped in um, in in that time, and thank you many of you who sent me texts and called and and emails and whatnot saying that you were praying that I would feel better. I appreciate that as well. Uh, we're going to read from the, uh, the book of Joshua, chapter 24, starting in verse 19, and, uh, and then we're going to pray. When we, when we pray, we're going to be praying for the uh, Arakanese people of uh, Myanmar, 2.9 million people. These are, are folks who at one point in their history, their entire uh, tribe or clan, they were all seafaring pirates, um, in, and now they're settled in Burma. Um, so, kind of an interesting, interesting fact. Uh, let's read from Joshua chapter 24. Um, the, the people have said, far be it from us that we should forsake the Lord to serve other gods. And it says then, in verse 19, Joshua said to the people, you are not able to serve the Lord, for he is a holy God. He is a jealous God. He will not forgive your transgressions or your sins. If you forsake the Lord and serve foreign gods, then he will turn and do you harm and consume you after having done you good. And the people said to Joshua, no, but we will serve the Lord. Then Joshua said to the people, you are witnesses against yourself that you have chosen the Lord to serve him. And they said, we are witnesses. He said, then put away the foreign gods that are among you and incline your heart to serve the Lord, the God of Israel. And the people said to Joshua, the Lord, our God, we will serve, and his voice we will obey. So Joshua made a covenant with the people that day and put in place statutes and rules for them at Shechem. And Joshua rose and wrote these words in the book of the law of God. And he took a large stone and set it up there under the terebinth that was by the sanctuary of the Lord. And Joshua said to all the people, Behold, this stone shall be a witness against you, for it has heard all the words of the Lord that he spoke to us. Therefore it shall be a witness against you, lest you be, deal falsely with your God. So Joshua sent the people away, every man to his inheritance. Let's pray. Father, we come to you today. We want to lift up the truth of your word in our hearts and we want to receive it and hear it and believe it and delight in it. We want the truth of your word to resonate in our hearts and to teach us. 
We want it to challenge us. We want to know you and to be about the business that you are about. And we falter, we fall away, we fail to follow through so many times. But Father, we thank you that your mercies are new every morning. We thank you that you are always about your work. And therefore, when we come to our senses, we can be about your business. And we pray, Father, that you would give us a renewed desire and an energy in 2016 to be your children, to be your family in this church, and to pursue the mission that you've given us, Father, that, that we might glorify you in this place, in the city that you've placed us in, and may we serve you without fear and with great joy in humility and love. And may we bring others to you. We pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Uh, remembering last words, remembering um, a, a time when, when, when somebody uh, conveyed something important to you, uh, what's, what's on someone's heart when they are about to leave the world is, is very important. And sometimes what can be defined there, what can be, what can be laid out is a sense of identity and mission. And that's what, part of what Joshua is doing here in the book of Joshua. As it comes to the, clo to the close, they've conquered the land. They've been on the land for many years. And it says in verse 24, chapter 24, verse 1, that Joshua gathered all the tribes of Israel to, to their gathering place, to Shechem. He summons the leaders, and he gives them this, this history lesson of where they've come from. They, they, they were once one man. And now they are a nation and they're on the land. Uh, chapter 24, verse 2. I brought Abraham out of Ur. And I brought you uh, in the little tribe of Israel down into Egypt. And I gave you Moses. And then in verse 6 he says, I brought you out of Egypt. I brought you into the land. Verse 13. I gave you a land on which you had not labored. And cities that you had not built. And you dwell in them. You eat the fruit of the vineyards and olive orchards that you did not plant. God was abundantly faithful to them, and he had blessed them materially, yes. He had given them many things. He'd given them what they, what they need, what they desired. But they are to fulfill their covenant obligations to the Lord. Verse 14 says, now, therefore, fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and faithfulness. The people then answer, far be it from us that we should forsake the Lord. And Joshua says to the people, don't act like you are able to completely, utterly, wholeheartedly, without error, serve the Lord. Your strength will fail. You are, you are not a holy people like you ought to be. You will fall away. God will be faithful. He's a holy God, a jealous God, and he's done good to you, and, and you will fall away. You will not be able to serve the Lord. And they say, no, but we will serve the Lord. And then he says, you're witnesses that you've said this. The natural tendency is to drift and to fall away, isn't it? Your house doesn't accidentally come into order, right? 
You, you, you have, probably have a similar experience to my wife and I. We will, we will spend uh, the, the beginning of the evening you know, cleaning up, making sure that book bags and lunch boxes and things get put away and the dishes get washed. And you know what happens? The sink fills up again. The sink doesn't ever empty itself. Have you, have you noticed that? But it, but it does seem to magically fill itself because things naturally tend towards disorder. That's because that's the way that we are. And so we need to make sure that on a regular basis we are recapturing our mission and our vision and saying, okay, you know, we need to, we need to push forward in the Christian life. The Christian life is the same way. You're either headed uphill, right, you know, making spiritual progress, or you're rolling backwards. There's no parking brake. There's no coasting. You're making progress or you are uh, experiencing regress. Joshua says, you're witnesses against yourselves that you've chosen the Lord to serve him. And they said, we are witnesses. He says, then repent of everything that's false. Put away the foreign gods among you. Incline your heart to the Lord, the God of Israel. The people said to Joshua, the Lord God we will serve and his voice will obey. And so he made a covenant with them that day. They renewed the covenant. They said, on this day, that covenant that we made long ago, that was made at Sinai and then made again after all the people who had disobeyed and refused to go into the land, that covenant, we're going to renew that covenant. And we're going to commit to serve the Lord with gladness. And then he sets up a rock. This is kind of interesting. I think it's funny that he says, um, this rock has heard everything that was said and it's going to be a witness against you. And you see it, it it's, going to, it's going to be like, remember that day? And, and you're, going to, you're going to remember what was said here. It's going to be a witness against you so that you don't deal falsely. And then verse 29 says that he died. And he passed off the scene. When we consider the church and we consider where we are heading into 2016, we need to remember that, that, that the biblical pattern, that, that, the, um, that the course of history in the scriptures is that mission and vision come from God and they come from the word of God, but they are placed into the leaky bucket of humanity. They're placed into the leaky bucket of human institutions. Yes, the church is God's church. It is God's family. But it is composed of human beings. And so vision leaks out over time. Mission leaks out over time. There are, um, there's a need for each and every generation to recapture the vision and the mission and to say yes. And so it's good every 365 days or so or every seven days, right, or every 21 days to hear about the mission of the church. It's good to be reminded of the gospel. It's good to be reminded of what we need to do so that we'll stay on target. Every change in our culture means that there needs to be a recapturing of the vision. Every generation, you don't just, uh, uh, order doesn't just happen naturally as, as a company passes from father to son, or as a church passes from the founders to the children of the founders, or to the generation that takes their place. Each generation needs to recapture their mission and their vision and stay on task for the gospel. 
We, we see this happens in the scriptures over and over again. There are these natural cycles that happen. We see one in the book of Judges. The cycle is sin, then enslavement to an oppressor, and then repentance, and then renewed devotion. In, in the sin portion, or the sin step, Israel turns from God and worships false idols, and then they are enslaved to a foreign power. God turns Israel over, and somebody takes them over and begins to oppress them, and then they come to their senses. They turn back to God, and they cry out to him for help, and then he raises up a judge to deliver them. How many times do you think this happens in the book of Acts? I mean, in the book of Judges? Five times? It happens at least eight, over and over again. Why didn't they just learn the lesson? Because the people involved keep changing. But also because as human beings, we fail to learn lessons, don't we? How many times have you thought like, oh, I committed to do things differently this year? I committed in, if anybody made New Year's resolutions, has anybody like completely lost their list by now and, and forgotten what they resolved? On New Year's Eve, you were like, I am going to the gym tomorrow. And you're like, wow, forget that. You know, the, the, the perfect pattern is, is blown up. This is, this is the way we are. So we need to renew. There, there can be other patterns. In the, the book of Revelation, we see the church of Ephesus uh, was working hard, but they had lost their first love. And sometimes this happens. We become so task-oriented that, that we lose the reason why we're doing something. And so Jesus comes to them and says, remember and repent. There's a, there's a cycle here. And I'll reward you. The church at Smyrna had suffered. They had shrunk back in fear. Jesus says, don't be afraid. You're going to suffer some more. I want you to be brave. And when you work through that suffering, you'll receive a reward. There's a cycle there as well. The church in Pergamum had held fast to the faith. They had not denied it, but they had grown tolerant of sin in their midst. And so, so, so John, or Jesus speaking through John, says, repent. Expel the sinners from among you, and you will receive a reward. I could go on and on, but there are cycles. You track them in each letter in the book of Revelation. This, this pattern of, of regression, of falling away, of, of falling backwards, exists in the minds of believers and exists in churches. And so you, you might be thinking, well, this is what our church is like. Or this is what my spiritual life is like. But the truth is that, that the whole of the church is composed of these individual patterns of whatever's going on in someone's life right now. Does that make sense? We, we, we all have something that we're going through. And the church accomplishes its mission as we remember the mission and the vision and say, yes, this is, this is what we're called to. This is what we're going to do. We're going to mark out what, what, what we are supposed to be attaining. When I went to, uh, to seminary, thank you, um, my wife got me this cool water bottle for Christmas, look. <laughs> and it's not plastic, it's glass, which is cool. Um, I have not tried to break it yet. Um, 
that'll break. No, it won't. You know, like, uh, anyway. Um, when I went to, to grad school, when I went to seminary, um, lots of people were talking about mission statements for churches and, and vision statements. And then they would write these weird, long, convoluted sentences full of fancy words. And I just, my attitude was like, blech. You know, mottos are, are boring to me. We have a mission as a church, and we don't invent it. The mission has been given to us by God. The, the mission is, is getting to the target, right? And, and the target is God's vision. So let's, let's consider for a moment what God's mission is. What is the, the mission that motivates God's heart? God's desire is to be God and to be known as God, to be highly exalted. You can find that in the book of Isaiah. But God's mission is also to be the God of his people, to call a people to himself and then to be God to them, that they would worship him in spirit and in truth and enjoy him forever. 2 Corinthians 6 16 says, I will make my dwelling among them and walk among them and I will be their God and they shall be my people. God has determined to uh, reverse the effects of sin through the cross of Jesus and to bring his people to himself. This is his mission. This is what he's doing because his, his vision, the target, is to dwell among his people and enjoy them forever. We see this in, in Revelation 21.3. I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. This isn't some kind of fancy, like, this is where we're going to go in 2016 strategy, that when the year ends, it's kind of like, well, maybe we, we haven't done that. You know, somebody may have said, we're going to be the greatest shopping website on the internet, right? And they were the, the competitor to Amazon. And where are they today? Because, you know, because Amazon is, is like controlling the world. They're probably going to be some kind of nation someday. God knows what's going to happen. This is the future. It will happen. He will have his people. And he will be their God. How does... How does he accomplish this goal? He uses the cross and he uses the church. 2 Corinthians 5.18 says, All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ God was reconciling the world to himself not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation, God sends his perfect son to live a perfect life of infinite value. And when he goes to the cross and he dies, he dies in the place of all those who have sinned. So that, so that if, if you're a sinner and you look to Christ, you can say, I need, I need Christ's righteousness. I need, I need my sins to be paid for. And, and he accomplishes that. And then he says to those redeemed sinners, here, now go and take this message to others. God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and he's entrusted to us the message of reconciliation. Now notice what happens there. 
God has a conviction on the issue of his people. This is, this is God's firm belief. He is the greatest thing in the entire universe. We are to love him with all our heart and mind and soul and strength, right? Because that is the best thing for us. God gives us what is best for us, and that is himself. Worship, focus on me. He has this conviction. I will save these people. And so he sends the son. God, God has this internal culture within side of himself that, that he is loving and gracious and holy and just and righteous. And so he then creates that culture in his people and he uses two constructs or devices to achieve his goal. There's, there's the cross where salvation is accomplished and the church, his people who proclaim salvation, that it's come inviting people to repent of their sins and to be united with Christ until the mission is complete. The cross is the foundation and the church is the means. God uses the, the cross to cancel out sin and the church to communicate the gospel. Now, I just want to point something out to you. This happens over and over again in the Bible. Over and over again in the Bible. That, that, that someone has a conviction and then they... They create something to deal with it, okay? Moses, right, out in the wilderness, wearing himself out, judging all the people. Jethro comes to him and says, what you're doing is not good. Listen to me, son-in-law, and I will teach you the way to do this. He says, you hold on to teaching the law. You teach everybody what's just and right and good because God gave you the law. And you know what Moses, uh, he, says, he says to them, find men who won't take bribes, who love the law, and set them over uh, thousands and hundreds and fifties and tens, and they'll handle every complicated matter. Or they'll handle every simple matter, and you hold, handle every complicated matter. And he doesn't say this, but in that way, Moses will maintain the quality of Israel. Very simple system right there, right? You teach, you appoint these guys, and they will judge everything that's simple. And you will handle everything that's complicated. In the early church, right, the church was about to crack up over the, that's not, not like funny, it was about to explode and, and break apart and become a giant mess over the fact that the Jewish-speaking widows weren't getting enough food, or that the, that the Jewish-speaking widows uh, were getting enough food, and the Greek-speaking Jewish widows weren't, and that's not good. And so Peter sees the division growing, and as the leader, he stands up, and full of conviction, he says, we are going to lead and preach and pray but there needs to be a solution to this problem and so he says appoint some godly men over that work and we'll keep doing what we're appointed to do and what happens the church is pleased with this idea the word spreads the numbers increase and the gospel enters new territory what does Paul tell Timothy when the Ephesian church is in a mess? Their culture is bad. Timothy is probably a bit of a scaredy cat. And Paul realizes that he is not Jesus. He cannot be everywhere at once. And because his conviction is that the church needs to be well regulated, he says to Timothy, he communicates how to solve the cultural problem over time in Ephesus. He says... This is going to be your pattern or your system or your way of dealing with this. You've heard me teach the truth. 
find faithful men who can teach and teach them and they'll teach others also. Okay? That's, that's his, his way of dealing with things. His way of dealing with, with the, the, the problem. Where do, these, where do these ideas come from? Are we, are we free to make up anything that we want and just, just figure out we'll do church any way that we want? We'll, we'll, you know, we'll have church on the internet or you know, this will solve the problem of, of people's busyness. Tune in to watch the video whenever you feel like it. Um, no. We ought to model the way in which God solves problems. In Mark chapter 3, 13, Jesus solves the problem that he will eventually go away. He's going to, he's going to go back to heaven. He's going to ascend and, and leave, having accomplished salvation on the cross, and there will be a vacuum. And so look at what he does. This is the method of the master. Mark 3, 13, he went up to the mountain and called to him those whom he desired, and they came to him. And he appointed twelve, whom he also named apostles, so that they might be with him, and he might send them out to preach and to have authority to cast out demons. I'm going to save my people. That's Jesus' conviction. The Father sent me to accomplish this work, and I am going to do it. And I must create a way here to maintain that mission and that quality. And so he constructs the idea of discipleship and that carries throughout the generations of the church. Where do we stand as we enter 2016? I think that we stand on good convictions. If you read our statement of faith, it is good and it is strong. If you read our church covenant, which is, is the, the, the defining promise that we make to one another as a church, I love the beginning of it. It says, we seriously and joyfully commit ourselves to covenant with each other. And then if you read through the material, it's, it discusses the idea that we're together to enjoy God, to worship him, to own our mission to build real relationships, to raise the next generation, to live holy lives that are also humble and gracious, to work hard to share the gospel and to give to make the mission go and to handle division in the proper way. I love that at the center of what we're doing, if you look at what, what we say we want to be on paper, it is good and I think it lines up with the scriptures. We've got good convictions. And then you look at the materials of the church. And, and, and in order to build something, you've got to have the right materials, right? You've got to have the, the proper components. And when I, when I look at this church, when I interact with people, I, I love the people of this church. I love the people of this church. I think we've got, we've got good, godly people who love the scriptures here. Um, what we do have is a culture, I think, that at times lacks direction. That lacks a sense of where are we going. Now, I would say that, let's limit that, let's not be totally ridiculous and critical. We, we don't lack direction, 
You all showed up here on Sunday morning, right? You know, there are never people banging on the door on Monday saying, let me in for worship. We understand that we're supposed to assemble together and worship. But, but when it comes to how do we get things done, how do, we, how do we get where we are going, we need to figure out in 2016, we need to, to solve the, the problems of, of getting things done on mission. How do we get where we're going? I believe that as a church, we've got the train, right? Imagine somebody inventing a, a, a locomotive for the very first time, and, and you see that the steam coming out of it, what does it do? Well, everybody gets on it. Yeah, okay, people get on it. And what happens? And then you pull this whistle, and, and it's like ear piercing, all the people and all their luggage are on it. Oh, okay, what happens? You're like, well, it's just, it's impressive and power, powerful. And so look at the wheels spin, and then somebody's like, hey, I have an idea. Let's put tracks underneath this thing and build tracks like, from, from the East Coast to the West Coast. And somebody's like, that's a great idea. And we'll go places. I think what we need now is a way to say, how do we all know what we're supposed to be doing in order to stay on mission all the time? How, how, do, we, how do we take the gospel to where it needs to go? How, how are we going to be faithful to the commission that Jesus has given us? We, we have all of the basics on the table. But how do we, how do we get there over the long term? Where are we, where are we going? What is, our, what is our desire? Who do we want to be? I believe that God has given us a compelling reason for being, and that is a necessity if you're going to be an organization that has meaning. God's entrusted us with his commission. The scripture says that we are partakers of the divine being, and that, and that being joined with God, we're joined, this isn't from the Bible, this is now theology connecting the dots, that we're, we're joined with him and we're joined with his mission. We're, we're serving our Savior and going where he's going. Uh, what we need to do and what we've been doing, but I think we need to do it with greater definition, is to develop and unleash our individual skills. What do we each bring to the table? And that's honestly something that I can identify. I can say, oh, you, you're good with math, and you're good with people, and you're good with, uh, with ideas, and you make stuff pretty, and you cook good food, and you are wonderful with groups of kids, and I can see part, but, but you know inside what it is that drives you and what your desires are. Many of us keep that locked up and hidden. We need, to, we need to share that so that we know what has God given us to accomplish our mission. And then once we develop and unleash those individual skills, we need to create team power and build a game plan and say, here's where we're going. Fighting for, for unity as a team, listening and working hard to head towards that goal. I heard someone say about teams, and I think this applies to churches, we need to realize that none of us is as smart as all of us together. That's the way families work, right? We're together. We, 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 we know who we are and we care for one another. If we're all headed in the same direction, if we're all headed in, in, in the direction of becoming a church that draws those who don't know Christ in and then 
raising them up in the Lord and releasing them to their mission, what must we do in order to make that our game plan on a regular basis? And so we need to set some goals and keep the focus on progress. Now, this would be the point normally when I do this sermon where I would say, and so here are my goals, but I am not going to do that. Because what I want to do is to focus on the foundation, to think about prayer, and then to to focus on desire just for a moment. Let me ask you if you're praying regularly for the mission of our church. Are you praying for the mission and the vision and the heart of our people? Or are you praying that we stay on target? That we, that we focus on the mission and not focus on what's going on around us? Or that we, that we focus on, on where we're going and not focus on maybe what's going wrong without a, a view to correct it so that we can get back on mission? What if, what if God decided that he was going to answer all the prayers for our church that were prayed in the last seven days? What would happen? I hope it would be good. Right? I hope that, I hope that we've, been, we've been thinking, God, raise up an, another generation of missionaries from our children. God, God, fill our church with lost people. Give our, give, our, give our people, God, a vision for reaching the lost around them and forming relationships and discipling them. God, open the door for the word and, and, and open the door so that, so that when we share the gospel, that the gospel goes in and the devil doesn't steal it and somebody holds on to it and believes it. Imagine if, if we had prayed like that all week. And maybe, maybe you have. Maybe this isn't a rebuke. Maybe you're sitting out there and you're like, yes, right? What if God answered all the prayers that we prayed for our church in the last seven days? What if he gave us exactly what we needed to be the best that we could be? What are you praying for for this church? I would like to know. I mean that seriously. I would love to know what your, the desire of your heart is for harvest. What do you dream for your church? Because when you're a family, you head in the right direction together. Make sure that everybody's settled in the vehicle as you're going on the journey, right? You know, you don't just go through the Chick-fil-A drive through and get one kid a drink. Unless that kid is a toddler. Maybe then you do. Um, you make sure everyone's on board and everyone's satisfied and that everybody's moving ahead. And then think about action and mission. What are, what are the next steps And this is where we we need to understand that teams are made of individuals and families are composed of individuals. And so think just for a moment about yourself looking at 2016 ahead. 2015 ended and you were someplace in terms of your walk with Christ. Where are you headed this year? Where are you in terms of your relationship with Christ and your growth and your knowledge of your gifts and your sense of accomplishment, of mission? We all get stuck in ruts and and patterns. What next step do you need to take to live your mission? 
I think that I was eating lunch with Pastor Lee when I came to visit before I took this church. This may have been right after I got here. I might have been eating with somebody else. And um, I think I was at TGI Fridays, and I turned over a, a, a sugar packet on the back of it. I hung it in my door. It's in my window in my office. The sugar packet says, if you knew no fear, what would you do? What, what, is, it that, what is it that you need to step forward and do in 2016 to live out your mission? What's stopping you? So often it's fear and pride. The good news is God receives those who come to him in humility, and God tells us when we come to him, do not fear. And so we can step up, which is good news for the church, because that means that we can live out our mission. We can accomplish what we set out to accomplish if it's consistent with God's vision and his will, but it will cost us. In the book of Luke, Jesus said this, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Matthew 6.33 says, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Ephesians 1.3 says that God has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. And so what, what my desire, this is my prayer for harvest in 2016. I'm not talking about individual goals or strategies. I'm not talking about any of the plans that I've got because I've, I've spent pretty much the end of December and the, the last couple of days thinking, okay, what, what are the next steps? What do we need to do? Where do, how, do we, how do we move forward? What we need to realize is that if we've got God's vision and mission as our goal, God's given us what we need, but he calls us to deny ourselves and to step forward in faith and humility and press forward. And so as a church, as individuals, we have to say, what is it that is holding me back? from living out the mission that, that God has given me. I am a component in this church. I am a piece of what happens here. What, is, what, am, I, what am I not engaging? What am I not saying yes to? How do I, how do I press forward? Now, I want to I share something about my own flawed thinking about the, the kingdom of God, or maybe a, perhaps a re-realization of, of something. Okay? Um, Matthew 11, verse 12, speaks about the fact that uh, the kingdom of, of God, the kingdom of heaven has suffered violence from its inception and the violent take it by force. This idea, uh, as Thomas Watson the Puritan says, of, of pressing forward into the kingdom, right? That, that, that the Christian life is an uphill battle. Spurgeon said that the Christian life is it's like being on ice and we need to carve every step with an axe as we climb up it or we will slide back. It's not, this is an easy street. We need, to, we need to, to fight. We tend to think of the Christian life as running away from the world, the flesh, and the devil, right? And running toward Jesus. But, but that thinking is flawed. The truth is that we are opposed by these enemies. And we must run through them. As a church, we need to understand that, that we will all encounter these seasons where the, where the flesh takes over or where we are oppressed by the devil or where we are attacked by the world and that, and that a lack of zeal or a, 
uh, a season where, where we struggle or we're in pain or we're in difficulty or we're confused doesn't mean that we are, we are out necessarily, but that we need to be comforted and encouraged and helped and, and put back out on the field and to have this plan of attack and strategies for victory. We need to understand that, that, that we must go through the enemy and through those obstacles which oppose us as a church and as individual Christians. Okay, so today, today, is that the uh, Redskins? Yeah! <laughs> Redskins will take the fields right at, at 4 o'clock. Four what? Four forty, and they will they will be opposed uh, by the Green Bay Packers. So here's here's the thing, right? The Packers when they when they when they when they want to win, they they are headed towards the goal. They are, they, are, they are headed somewhere. They want to attain their mission. And their enemies are arrayed against them. And they have to stick together. They have to work the plan in order to win, in order to survive. The eye is on the prize. If you are Aaron Rodgers today, and you are taking the field to defeat the Redskins, the, the eye is not just on scoring one point. The eye is, is not on just looking good. The eye is ultimately on what? The Vince Lombardi Trophy. That is where you are going. That is where you see yourself. And so what, what needs to happen is, is that they need to understand, like, like we do, that there is progress and there is regression. Sometimes the church gains and is doing well and sometimes the church loses and and begins to fall back and what they need to do is to adjust 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 but keep the eyes on the prize what's the goal what's the goal where are we we headed the question that we need to ask ourselves as a church is what is our mission is our mission Focus on building a church for ourselves where we feel comfortably. Is our mission to take the gospel to those who don't know it? I would say that our mission is to take the gospel to those who don't know Christ and to do everything that we can to grow them up into God-fearing, humble, gospel-sharing Christians. That's our mission evangelism and discipleship all the way across the spectrum. And yes, we will gain some ground and we will lose some ground. So often, the only scorecard that a church judges itself by is how many people are in attendance and how we're doing in terms of offering. And that's it. Success or failure indicated on the back of the bulletin. But what we need to do is to focus on the mission and to say, am I living that mission out? And we need to deny the self, right? And to focus that we make sure that, that we know where we're going. We're either, we're either drifting, right, in the, in the right direction or we're, we're headed in the wrong direction. 
We need to make sure that we're, we're practicing the, the disciplines. You know what, the, the truth is that, that for a football player, it doesn't all look like on the field time, right? As a matter of fact, the majority of time is, is spent exercising, resting, eating right, whatever, to get to the field to do the job, right? And that's the way the Christian life is too. We're to, we're to take time away, to pray, to rest, to read God's word, to make sure that we, we handle our relationships properly, to make sure that we conserve so that we can, we can give and serve others, to make sure that we, we have our, our perspective right so that we don't spend all of the church's money on ourselves, but that we give out to missions. We need to make sure that we are denying ourselves. We need to make, our, make sure that we have our identity on. Are we wearing the jersey of the world? Or, or do we have our, our identity in Christ secure? Do we know who we're called to be? Now listen, let me say something. They may, they may go out on the field today and they may lose. But that's not the end, right? It's not the end. The end of this season. Yes, it is. Stop it. Don't start a fight. Um, we have to deny the self and stay focused on our mission. We deny me and focus on serving others. We deny the self and, and refuse to gratify ourselves with the pleasures of, of sin and follow the Holy Spirit for the sake of those around us, for the sake of the, the church. We deny the self. We deny an entertainment mentality. And we focus on our mission and we make sure that we preach the gospel. We deny the self and we say, not it's all about me, Jesus, but it's all about you, Jesus. And we focus on him who has all authority. We deny the self. We deny what our culture says is good and works and what will attract people. And we focus on scripture. We deny the self. Laziness. Oh, we can't do that. That will be difficult. No, Jesus is behind and, and working through our hard work. We deny the self and all of our busyness and we focus on rest and recharging and reclaiming ourselves so that we can go back into the battle and do the work of the church. And I'm not just talking about making sure that we're present on Sunday morning to fill all the volunteer spots, although that is very important. But that, but that we are ready and alert and we've got a word in our mouth and scripture filling our spirits so that when somebody asks or we see a need we can speak and share so that we're ready we deny the self we keep our eyes off of the ground and we look at what God is doing around us and his vision for the world and for the church we deny the self and focus on the kingdom we do the right thing again and again and again in the midst of temptation or when we are wronged or when we see a need, we see somebody hurting, we say, I have to help over there. And we deny ourselves. And sometimes, most of the times it's going to look really boring. Get up. Pray. Read the scriptures. Let me tell you what, I think there's no more difficult thing in the universe than praying. I really do. 
I think that the, the, the world, the flesh, and the devil are arrayed against you to distract you and to keep you from doing it and to keep your mind filled with all the things that you need to do instead of focusing on asking God to do things and to keep you in humble dependence. Praying is difficult. The Bible is, to be honest, is complicated and sometimes hard to understand. And so, so reading is difficult. It's hard work. But we don't do it because it's easy. We do, we do hard things because they are worth it. Because he is worth it. What, does, uh, what do they say to, to Jesus in, in the parable? Luke 17.10 says, So you also, when you have done all that you were commanded, say, We are unworthy servants. We have only done what is our duty. We, we know that we need to maintain certain kinds of practices and disciplines. And we ought to say, we don't, we don't care how we feel. We don't care what our culture says. We don't, we don't care what we, we must serve our master. And we will take part in the reward. Most of the time, it's going to involve hard work that's worth it. But sometimes... Sometimes we get to be part of something amazing. I wonder how many times has Aaron Rodgers thrown that football over, 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 over again. And sometimes you just get that, you get that moment, right? They call it the Motor City Miracle. Three points behind. No time on the clock. Two seconds on the play clock. 61-yard pass, right? Changes everything. They said, what was going through your mind when you threw that ball? He was like, catch it, right? You know, like, but that was all skill and it was all practice. It's not just, if they, if you put me out there and you were like, we got two seconds on the play clock, I'd be like, what? He drills and drills and drills. They're ready for that, hopefully. And they get the glory. He gets the glory for that play. For, for that wonderful moment, but behind it was what? A ton of hard work. The church that's going to accomplish its mission, that's going to remember that they are surrounded by this tremendous cloud of witnesses that's going to say, we need to travel through our enemies because, because uh, accomplishing our mission is not just going to be like, oh, you know what? The devil's going to let us win people to Christ. It's not going to happen that way. We're going to be opposed as we pursue discipling and, and reaching. We need to remember that, that the hard work is going to be worth it. We're surrounded by a cloud of witnesses who've gone before us. And so we ought to lay aside every weight, every sin, and run with endurance the race that's set before us. The scripture says that we're to look to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. And so, this is what I want to close on. I want to talk about 2016 and, 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 and vision. I want to hear from you what we should look like at the end of 2016. What, what, should, what should we be focusing on and doing. Now, that's not a guarantee that I'm going to be like, oh, let me get right on that. When, when Jesus said, pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out workers in the harvest, he then sent those disciples out right away. What is it that you're passionate about? What, where should we be expanding? And then, let me challenge you to be ready to work hard. 
of the gospel. Let's be different at the end of 2016. Now hear me, I love this church, and I love the people of this church. But I love my wife more today than on the day that I married her, and that's the way it's supposed to be, right? We've grown and changed over time. We've had experiences. Our lives are different. And that's the way it ought to be. At the end of the year, we ought to be able to say, yes, this is what we did. Look, look how, we, how we changed and grew. So, so please tell me what's on your heart and your mind for us. And then pray that God would answer our prayers for our church in 2016. And that Jesus would be at the center of them. Let's close in prayer. Father, thank you for the opportunity to come before you. We pray that uh, by your grace, that you would strengthen us in our faith, that you would help us all. (laughs) That you would help us. I knew that was coming. That you would help us to live out our mission and our commission, Father. We pray that you would be glorified in this church. We pray that that as we seek to pursue you, that we would realize that, that nothing that can be accomplished is easy. Nothing that's worth accomplishing. We pray that you would help us to persevere on the road of discipleship as we press forward. Father, we want to, as Paul says, excel still more in what we do. We want to be more like you at the end of the year. We want to have the ability to look back and to say, this is how we served you. This is how we grew in unity. And this is how we accomplished our mission. And so, Father, I pray that that as a team, as a family, we would realize that none of us is as smart as all of us together. And that we would take that knowledge and that we would take our mission and we would work hard and pursue you this coming year. We pray your grace on the remainder of our time. We pray that you would fuel us with your joy for the week that's to come. And we pray this in Jesus' name.